Hey there, it's the Planet Football Podcast, Monday edition. I'm here, Grant Wall, with my guy, Luis Miguel Echeca. All right, how are you? What's up, buddy? How are you? I'm ready to rock here. There was a ton of soccer this weekend in different parts of the world. We got a lot to talk about here. We're going to focus, though, the big story for our purposes, I think, here is the MLS playoffs, which Ooh, were just baby. absolutely fantastic <laughs> so over the weekend. Uh, we're also going to talk about Liverpool being perfect no more. We're going to talk about the NWSL final being set, North Carolina, Chicago. This weekend, Barcelona on top of La Liga will look ahead to the Champions League. But let's get going with Premier League. Man United, Liverpool, 1-1. And I want to say on our video show the other day, I asked you the question, how long do you think Liverpool's perfect start to the season would go? And you said... This weekend, it would end. And I laughed. (laughs) You did laugh, which is fine. I mean, that's the natural (laughs) reaction whenever I speak, I think, um, as my wife will attest. But no, listen, um, this wasn't a perfect game by any means. It was very patchy. Um, There was a lack of rhythm from both sides. Scrappy. Scrappy game. Um, But listen, I I don't think... um, I, I don't think it was a far-fetched thought to think that Manchester United was going to get away with something here because there has been shades of Liverpool not necessarily doing what you would expect um, day in and day out. I mean, the Sheffield United game was a perfect example of that. Obviously, the Napoli loss. you know. But there are situations in this season where Liverpool has really not shown exactly everything that it can do. Granted, um, I think uh, VAR uh, once again took a lot of, uh, you know, influence in this one, but Manchester United really gave a lot of um, passion and physical effort, um, albeit the fact that it wasn't also a good game from their uh, standards. Uh, Marcus Rashford you know, was all over the place, but at the same time, I think that sometimes the delivery was not as great for him, aside from that great cross from James to make it 1-0. And who would have, you know, who could have thought, you know, if, like I said, like if VAR, you know, when the foul in the build-up to the goal had, had come into place. But Adam Lallana scoring his first goal since 2017 obviously meant so much to him. I just knew that Manchester United was going to come a little bit different in this game. Whether they were going to get a result or not was something else. But there has been shades, there has been evidence this season of Liverpool not giving you exactly what you thought you would buy through, you know, the entire game. Sheffield United, to me, was the perfect example where I thought there's something here not quite to what you're in club wants, whether that will change or improve, whatever. And we've said, you know, at the end of the day, three points is three points. But uh, this weekend's game was perfect example of how you can capitalize. Also, let's not forget that uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer using three center backs. Yeah, tactically got it right. And, and getting those fullbacks to push up. I, I think that's an example of how some future teams that play Liverpool could say, you know, we can exploit them here. Yeah, because their fullbacks are so good at getting forward. Liverpool is usually, in getting crosses off, being hugely influential in the attack. That didn't happen as much in this game, in part because the Man United wingbacks pushed him back. And the false nine, a nice little stroke there from Ole. Pereira had a very good game, uh, especially for him. And it, it I thought this was... Uh, Ole getting his tactics right, uh, good job on that. I think we've seen also that Liverpool under Klopp hasn't done great at Old Trafford when you look at, at their results over time. And so um, to get the late goal, the late equalizer, um, 
I still think that's almost one of those situations like when Liverpool has gotten a win like against Sheffield United when they weren't at their best. Well, they weren't at their best in this game and they got a point out of it. Obviously, City winning, so the league gets cut down to six. And uh, I think that's probably more reflective of where the two teams have played or how they've played so far this season. But, uh, you know, you don't want to say you're worried about Liverpool or anything, but they've got a, a nice stretch here without playing at their best. And let's not forget, they got Tottenham next, who's going to want to maybe try and find some redemption after the Champions League final. I mean, listen, Mohamed Salah wasn't playing in this game, so you don't know about that. I mean, obviously, Divock Origi is, is, is a good player within his own right. But when you don't have your foreseeable, you know, enforcers up front, it can also be a problem. But, you know, a good result and positives for both sides and negatives for both sides, I think. Keep in mind, for United, good results in the end, I guess, for them, but they're still just two points out of the relegation zone. Aston Villa's above Manchester United in the Premier League. I'd just like to remind everybody. <laughs> we mentioned City 2, Palace 0, um, and just, you know, it was on the road, but, you know, solid performance uh, by City in this game, some, some good goals. And, and here they are back in it. And, you know, Crystal Palace, you know, was really, you know, doing really well. You know, obviously in the top six situation, it was trying to push up the table. Like you said, it was away from home. You know, this is a Roy Hodgson team that, like, really fights at Selhurst Park. And they knew that they could try and get something out of Man City. They knew that Man City knew that it was going to get a physical game. And, you know, Raheem Sterling, once again, was amazing. That little dink for David Silva was just poetry. Um, so, you know, this could be a sign that, you know, the international break, as we said, was an advantage for Manchester City, uh, you know, to regroup and for Pep Guardiola to think, what can we do in these situations, especially away from home? Enough is enough of trying to, you know, concede so many goals. Let's be let's be physical. Let's be forceful. Let's be creative and, and let's try and get it. And, and, and that's what happened. Before we get to the epic MLS playoff weekend, I do want to talk about VAR in the Premier League. And one thing in particular that stands out to me about how they, I think they could do things better, I'm certainly not the only person to say this, but if you watch how VAR is done in the Bundesliga, the referee can check on the field and make the decision. And the Bundesliga actually, when they started using VAR, did it the way that the Premier League is doing it now, where the on-field referee does not do that. And they think it saves time and I get that, but there's a real problem, I think, when the on-field referee doesn't have the opportunity to look at it and make the call. And I hope that England changes to that. I agree one million percent. It's just that addition to VAR that can really help. Yes, it might be counterintuitive, especially when we're talking about you know, these decisions are taking so long, but it's crucial. I mean, if you just make that step where VAR comes in, because let's not forget, VAR is not a, it's not eagle-eye technology. It's a person with a staff in a room just giving extra advice to the main official. So the main official should have now, you know, the additional incentive to try and get a screen and look at it. The perfect example was the Aston Villa game, Aston Villa against Brighton. Um, uh, Brighton was one nothing up. Conor Hurahane smashed it in in in, uh, in in the goal to make it one all. But VAR came in to suggest that actually there was you know an impediment on the goalkeeper. The, our striker Wesley, uh, you know, was going for the ball, but there wasn't. But you know that was a very subjective decision by VAR. I think if the ref had gone into the screen and looked at that again, he wouldn't have given it. And I think that's a good example. I mean, again, the Tottenham one, Dele Alli, uh, 
the handball and the build-up. What would have happened then? So I, I completely agree. I think uh, I think it's a good move. And again, this is the thing that we talk about VAR. It's and VAR, and you know we've had you know the main stakeholders in this saying this is going to be a five-year, seven-year process. Hopefully, it's not that long. But I agree. I think that they should imitate what the Bundesliga is doing, what the World Cup both men and women, and use the screen in order to facilitate this for the main official. Let's move on to what, for me, is the big story of the weekend. MLS playoffs, single elimination for every game this season in the playoffs. That's never happened before. And the games that we got were so entertaining that even neutrals were watching this and kind of losing their minds. I mean, I know I was. And to be able to... Just see game after game. We had six games this weekend, uh, four on Saturday, two on Sunday. And not only was there entertainment that you hope to see in the playoffs and a lot at stake, which is what you want to see in the playoffs, which you don't really see if it's a two-leg thing on the first leg. But the home team went five and one, which to me shows that you are giving a significant advantage, obviously small sample size, but you are giving a significant advantage to the home team that was earned over 34 games of the regular season. So you're also valuing the regular season more than if you had a home-and-home two-legged tie where there's really no home field advantage at all. I think that part about it makes more importance for the regular season. When we talk about seven teams in each conference make it to the playoffs, seven, there needs to be another incentive where it says, okay, you've made it into the postseason, but now you've got to earn it. You've got to climb up as high as you can if you want that home advantage. And I think that that's the answer, and I was totally fine with it. Single elimination was a clear, clear success. And yes, there's an advantage because there was a home team at 5-1, to one, as you said. But that's good because that's what's going to happen is if you're, if you're a team that's like, you know, making it just in the seventh, you, be, you don't belong in the playoffs in, in any other storyline. So the best way to like balance it is to say, okay, fine, you're the seventh seed, but you're going to be playing away from home. And you have to earn your right to be in the playoffs. What I always said the last several years in our annual column basically ripping the format for the MLS playoffs was, if you're going to have this many teams get in, they need to have a much higher hill to climb yes. to win the league. Yes. And now they do have a higher hill to climb. I still wish it were higher. <laughs> and I actually wish there were fewer playoff teams, but well, I just yeah. don't see that happening. So uh, I do think this is a better format. It's a big upgrade. And for anyone out there, and there's a few weenies out there who were like, oh, this is the way the playoff format was last year. There mm. were single elimination games. There were only four play-in games league-wide that were single elimination. The rest were not, except for the final. And in this situation this year, all of the games, including the six this weekend, are single elimination. So yes, this is a new playoff format already. Um Let's go through them. Uh, in, in Philadelphia 4, New York Red Bulls 3 in extra time. Red Bulls had two separate two-goal leads in this game. Just an incredible way that this played out. And I'm really happy for Philadelphia, for Jim Curtin in particular, who's yeah. been on the hot seat permanently, it seemed like, over the years. And has had a, a terrific regular season and gutted out this win yesterday. And, you know, in comes Marco Fabian, who hasn't had 
you know, the best season that he could expect for injuries, you know, uh, are also part of it, you know, uh, a shift in momentum for sure. But him coming in, whether it was a cross or not, it doesn't matter. But my goodness, what a match. And listen, this is so far because I said it at halftime. Uh, you know, anything could happen at that point. Red Bulls was still up, but I, I, they were up three to one at and, halftime. And, and my, my, my thinking was, listen, there's still plenty of game to be played here, but New York Red Bulls, who really has been mediocre throughout the regular season, man, are they built for that kind of single elimination philosophy. But luckily for Philadelphia, they woke up in the second half. But what a performance. And also, let's not forget something. This is a Philadelphia Union that had a lot of pressure on them because this was their chance to win their first ever, ever win in the playoffs. And, you know, when you're thinking that it's 3-1 at halftime, you're thinking, bye-bye, this is too much. But what a what a comeback and, and what a way to win it. Andre Blake, pretty terrible in this game, yeah, especially by the, the way. The first half especially. <laughs> and... I used to want to do this. I still may at some point. Steve Russian, the great writer at Sports Illustrated, once wrote an uh, epic poem that included the names of every New York Mets third baseman ever. <laughs> and I thought about doing that for every goalkeeper ever to play for the Philadelphia Union just because there have been so many over the years and you could rhyme like Rice and Bowley with like something ridiculous. But uh, at one point in this game, my my epic poem was going to have something about Andre Blake playing like he's on the take <laughs> because uh, just brutal, really involved in all three goals that they conceded. He had a role in, in that and just surprising, but uh, a lot of grit shown by Philadelphia and by Blake in the second half to to right the ship. Alejandro Bedoya is a guy I want to mention in particular because I think he's sort of an unsung hero, but you need guys on your team who can play like that, who can have the experience to not wilt in a situation like that and get the job done. And I loved his post-game interview where he was just so fired up after the game. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I think something very important when it comes to MLS, specifically in the playoffs, is to have that kind of grit. A player that shows uh, a tremendous amount of not just leadership, um, you know, vocally, but somebody that's willing to, you know, put his neck out in the line, uh, especially in a single elimination uh, situation. And yeah, let's not forget, I mean, Andre Blake is a terrific goalkeeper. He just, he had a horrific, horrific day. But Philadelphia came at them with 31 shots by the end of the game. And, you know, well played to them. And, you know, let's see what happens in the next round. But it wasn't the only 4-3 extra time game of the weekend, Luis Miguel. Seattle 4, Dallas 3 in that was extra my favorite. time. Might have been my favorite as well, just because there was so much uh, being invested in this game from both sides. Jordan Morris hat trick. Um, and A Raul Rudia's banger. Just so many momentum swings here. You had Seattle up 2-0, a two-goal lead in this game. Uh, and Dallas just came roaring back. Listen, I, we're going to give a lot of credit to Dallas and Luchi Gonzalez, you know, for just going in a hostile environment like CenturyLink and just really trying to do everything they can to stay in this game, just to stay in it. You know, nothing was going for them defensively, but they had to keep plugging away. And, you know, I think that, again, this is where home field advantage really really took a president because I think Seattle was just energized, energized by the home crowd. And Jordan Morris was fantastic. Uh, but I think his partnerships with his, 
you know, offensive teammates, specifically Raul Rodríguez, was really key here. But Jordan Morris was everywhere, uh, both creatively and scoring three goals. But it was what a game. What a game. It was amazing. I mean, it was a back and forth, right? We had a Raul Rodríguez opener on the, 18th, on the 18th minute, Jordan Morris on the 22nd. Then Reggie Cannon made it uh, 2-1. Then it was 2-2 with Matt Hedges. Then Jordan Morris scored. Uh, no, then Brian Acosta made it. Uh, on the 82nd, and then which made it 3 3, I believe. And then Jordan yeah. Morris scored an extra time in the 113th minute. Yeah, I mean, just and really a well done by I'll say this the, the Fox crew who called this game, Stu Holden, oh, John yeah. Strong, Shaw Brown controlling everything uh, behind the scenes, just a really well presented game i thought as well and and you felt like you were there stefan fry i just want to say oh my God. is is so good and especially in the playoffs i have so many memories of him over the years not just in toronto from over the years but like just such a good goalkeeper in big playoff moments this is how good he was we're talking about him being so good and he conceded <laughs> three goals like right but, but he was still fantastic oh, yeah. that's how good this game was that no, was excellent um, Salt Lake 2, Portland 1, and another good game. I think on some weekends, this would have been seen as like the game of the weekend. Um, weird elements in, in terms of the weather. You had snow, you had rain, you had stuff in between. Um, you had a situation where Diego Valeri, Portland's best player, was available, did not start, and I wish he had. Yeah, I think, uh, again, just like we talk about Bedoya, the same thing here with Valeri, but you know we talked about Dairon, Mr. October Espria, uh, scoring in the 47th minute. But you know again, I think somebody that was really key was obviously the the game winner, Hefson uh, Savarino, who had has so much potential but so much inconsistency. It was really good for him to to get that win. But I agree. I think, I mean, when you're in this situation in a single elimination game, you need to rely on those leaders, and Valeri is one of them. So it was, uh, I think it, it was a mistake to for, not start him. For me, similar situation to Darwin Quintero. Yeah. Not yeah. starting for Minnesota against LA Galaxy, where, you know, these are your best players, Valeri, Quintero. And I realize they're not 100%, but why not start them and see how far they can go? Because chances are they're going to go as long as they humanly can, and they're going to impact your team. Because both guys actually improved their teams when they came on you just felt like it was too late yeah it's really funny it actually made me think sometimes the philosophy the mentality of a manager is you know um if we have a good player but he's not a hundred percent i'm gonna wait until the latter stages of a match as opposed to the beginning sometimes it's why you i know? guess they don't want to burn a sub or know they're, they're entering the game having to burn a sub at some point but, but to me the benefit you get outweighs that. Exactly. In a single elimination game, the most important thing is to catch them early or at least get on the scoreboard and create something. He gives you 60 minutes, maybe you're one nothing up and you hold on to that one nothing lead and you go home. I mean, so, but yes, um, I think he would have been probably more beneficial at the beginning of this game. Let's give some credit to Freddie Juarez, by the way, the Salt Lake coach interim who yeah. has come into a really rough situation in terms of... Mike Pecky being fired, Craig Weibel being pushed out. It's a little chaotic there. Uh, and now they're in, in the Salt conference Lake. semifinals. And now they're in, yeah, they're in the final eight uh, of the league. Uh, tough game coming at Seattle, but you know what? They've got a shot, and we don't talk a lot about Freddie Juarez. Maybe we should get him on the video show. Well, absolutely. Hey, Freddie. 
Hit us up. <laughs> Toronto 5, DC United 1, extra time. Four goals in extra time for Toronto in this game. But also a good game. You know, DC got the very late equalizer to send it into extra time. That was This was such a weird game. It was good, for sure. Uh, it was, again, like the Liverpool-Manchester United, it was kind of patchy at times during the during regular time. And then Toronto just went off in extra time, which was interesting. I think me- mentally, this is a good game for young players to look at how DC United reacted, especially in extra time, because Toronto just said, you know what, we're at home, let's take care of business. And DC fell asleep in extra time, which was very, but which is so weird because, you know, they just got that fire. Right. Thanks to Lucas Rodriguez in the 93rd minute. So uh, it was very weird. It was a weird game in terms of both mentally and the way that the rhythm uh, specifically went through. But Toronto, you know, they as full credit again to Toronto, who obviously knows what it's like to go through all the way to MLS Cup and win it um, and really deliver, especially in a situation where your backs were just against the wall because you had to be pushed to extra time. Nick DeLeon's a guy I want to mention because he had a terrific goal in extra time. Former DC United player scoring against his old team and an influential in this game. Yeah. You know, so he's... Ask Jonathan Osorio as well, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Minnesota won LA Galaxy 2, the only away team to win in round one, the LA Galaxy. You called it. I said it was going to be Minnesota. I, I had to gamble, but... I had two teams. I had two away teams winning. I had Portland winning. I got that wrong. But uh, I did get right uh, on uh, LA Galaxy. Uh, but it wasn't Zlatan, who was pretty invisible for, for much of this game. Minnesota did a really good job. And it wasn't just about staying close to him because he's so big and powerful that sometimes can go against you. If you watch the tape back of this game, what they did was it wasn't necessarily just like man mark him but anticipate the player before him who wants to give him the ball to create. So they were trying to annihilate as much final third threat from LA Galaxy so Slatan couldn't get the ball. And it worked really well for long periods of time. But, you know, I think this was a situation where individual talent from one team overwhelmed the other one in the latter stages when you have Antuna and Pavon and then you bring in Alessandrini and all these players Jonathan Dos Santos who really nice goal who like does does this all the time I mean his goal in the Gold Cup final is right. another example you know there was just too much individual talent uh for it to happen I mean a, a lot of credit to Scalotto you know this was a, a it was a tough game, especially in the first 45 minutes when Minnesota really thought that they could take that one leg up, especially from that home support in the first 45. But they with, withheld the pressure and, you know, some really, really nice goals to, to, to go through. So well, well the, big, the big choice by Scalotto to use four center backs right. on the back line, basically an indictment of his fullbacks and their performance at the end of the season. Yeah, but which goes to your point, by the way that what would have happened with Darwin Quintero starting this game oh, against yeah. four center backs, right? Right. And Quintero comes on, has an impact, they get a goal, they get back in it, but too late. Too late. Um, the other game, Atlanta won New England zero. Um, you never really thought that Atlanta was in danger here. It just took them a while to, to get the goal. Yeah, this was the one 
in our video show where I uh, where I gambled and I thought New England would take it just because I thought Bruce Arena would outmaneuver Frank DeBoer's inexperience in this league and you know the often somewhat passive defensive mentality of Atlanta uh, in big moments but they overcame um, and to be honest New England got lucky a few times because Atlanta United had chances to really make it you know, two nothing or even three nothing in in the early stages, but they they outperformed as the game went on. They understood what the game was all about against New England and Carlos Hill, somebody that we just had newcomer of the year. He uh, for him sadly didn't perform as well as he he probably wished he could have. And again, uh, buoyed by Mercedes Benz Stadium and you know the. The talent that Atlanta United has, you know, they made it through. It was interesting to me that Piti Martinez didn't start. Didn't it, play. It was even interesting to me that Piti Martinez didn't even come in. Right. Um, so that, but, you know, they got the win. So you can't really completely go against, uh, you know, DeBoer's decision. It, but having said all that, moving on into these playoffs, it's going to be to be interesting how he's used, if he's used at all. Well, considering. The game, the the second game is uh, Wednesday night here in New York against mm. NYCFC. You would think that we'll see Petey Martinez. I would at least in the starting lineup. You would think, right on short on short rest, but maybe not. And if that, like, I, all I'm saying is, is that Petey Martinez isn't starting in this next game on short rest. I think that would be an eyebrow raiser for me, even more than not playing at all in this game. Um, I'm just checking here because I, I did the same mistake. NYCFC is playing Toronto. Oh, my and, mistake. And then we got Union That's playing right. Atlanta. Thursday. It's Thursday. Atlanta, yeah. Philadelphia. My mistake. I have it right so here. So let's in talk front about Philadelphia, me. Atlanta. <laughs> I mean, it's the same thing, right? If he doesn't start. Yeah, no, it's the same thing. I mean, like, I would also say that um, in terms of like center back situation, Michael Parker separated shoulder, Miles oh, Robinson yeah. injured. Um, they're going to have to dig pretty deep. Uh, into the bench to to see what they uh, are going to put out there for center backs. And you think that Jim Curran has learned the lessons from what happened against the Red Bulls to not be so defense. And Andre Blake will not have the same kind of performance, I I would think. But you never know. (laughs) True. Um, Let's look ahead to the quarterfinals here. Wednesday, NYCFC Toronto here at City Field, home of the New York Mets. (laughs) Uh, Long story. But... uh, I think Toronto could give them a really good game. Absolutely. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned the Leon, you, you know, Jonathan Osorio playing well. Um, Altidore may be Altidore may be back, which is huge. To me, that's the big one. Um, the Altidore-Alex Callens kind of uh, battle at the back would be interesting. But um, I think NYCFC has this one. Uh, I, I Yes, I'm concerned about the fact that it's not a Yankee stadium, but I mentioned it uh, in an article earlier this week uh, with our editor, uh, head producer, Avi Creditor, that it's weird. It's obviously Yankee Stadium is their home, but I've, you know, and I've been to many games, both at Yankee Stadium and I went to the one at City Field. They're not affected by it just because I think it would have been worse if it would have been Connecticut and they would have to go further up. Stadium aside, I just think NYCFC's multi-dimensional offensive threat is just crazy good. It's going to be interesting to see if this long break will affect them as opposed to Toronto, who's now feeding off the momentum after beating DC United. But when you have Heber, Mitrita, 
you know, Ishmael Tashiri Shradi, um, Maxi Morales playing well. Alex Ring has scored four goals this season. There's so many weapons. When one is not on, they have three others. I mean, Jesus Medina has done nothing this season, basically. But these playoffs, he could turn it up. So that's what I'm worried about from a Toronto perspective. Will they score? Sure, but they have to be defensively sound because NYCFC is going to come with all the power they have. But yes, Toronto will give them a fight for sure. So, you like NYCFC in this game? Yes. I'm going to go with Toronto. Beauty. So, we'll see how that shakes out. The late game on Wednesday, Seattle hosting Real Salt Lake. Um, what do you think? Seattle again. Yeah. I, I think um, I'm not going to... I'm not going to fall under the same trap that I did in the first round thinking that, no, there might be an away team that could do. I think here when, you know, sometimes the answer is so simple is staring at you right in the face. I think they have too many weapons. Um, they are too compact. They have experience, youth. I think at the back, Seattle. So, I mean, obviously it wasn't evident last game conceding three goals, but there is, there is a stronger unit here at Seattle. And I think they have, they have a point to prove in these playoffs. Um, and I, I just have to go with my boy Raul Rodriguez. I just think that his partnership with Jordan Morris is too much, just too much for, for Real Salt Lake, I think. I think what we're seeing right now, by the way, is Jordan Morris becoming the player that a lot of us thought we might see sooner, but yeah. we haven't because of injuries, uh, because of maybe not, uh, even when he wasn't hurt, maybe not having the kind of impact that we thought he might have when he turned down Werder Bremen and decided to sign with Seattle. But he's having a positive impact right now, even more so at club level, but also with the national team, uh, on a national team that you're not feeling too good about. Jordan Morris is one of the things that you are feeling pretty good about. Uh, I like Seattle in this game as well. Thursday, we talked about Atlanta hosting Philadelphia. All right, come on, Grant. Talk about the big one. <laughs> We're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> I'm so excited. I, I'm just saying here, I like Atlanta at home okay. against Philly. Yep. You like Me, that? Um, oh, ah, this is a tough one. Okay. Okay, listen. The, obviously, we know what Atlanta United is. We know what it has. We've already talked about P.T. Martinez and how he will feature if he features. I think Joseph Martinez will have a better game here. And I think, but I think the defensive issues that they have, you know, Michael Parhurst obviously out. Uh, Miles Robinson State, do we know anything yet? Pretty sure he's out. Okay. So, you know, that to me says a lot. Now they're away from Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I don't think that the Union are going to be as defensively vulnerable as they are in this one. I think it will be... Wait, this will be at Mercedes-Benz. Oh, I'm sorry. That's right, because of the rankings. Guys, we're all over the place today. Okay, that changes everything. Atlanta United's got this one. Okay, there we go. <laughs> uh, and then the big one, which is just a gigantic playoff rivalry matchup. El Trafico, LAFC hosting LA Galaxy... LAFC by far the best team in the league this season. Points record, uh, goal scoring record for Carlos Vela, but they've never beaten the LA Galaxy. The first game was Galaxy 4, LAFC 3, LAFC tied with the Galaxy 2-2, then it's a 1-1 tie, Galaxy won 3-2 against uh, LAFC in July, and then the last one was LAFC 3, Galaxy 3. Like you said, the Galaxy has always uh, has, is undefeated against LAFC, um, plenty of goals always in five games, 24 goals. Um, but listen, LAFC is, to me, the best team in the league. Carlos Vela is the best player in the league. 
there at Bank of California Stadium. Is this going to be the game where finally they get that victory? I'm telling you right now that it's a very close, and I've been conflicted about this because I just I think that the, if Slatan is an, is is a problem for any other team, my goodness, is he a problem for LAFC? Uh, but I think that LAFC is going to be really up for this one, and Carlos Vela will score a brace and they'll win it an extra time. Wow. That's a, one benefit for LAFC is you can't tie this game. You know, so <laughs> yeah, something's going to get. We've seen that happen plenty uh, against the Galaxy, but this is a huge mental barrier for LAFC, whether they admit it or not. And and you know that they will never live it down if the LA Galaxy ends their season because for whatever reason, the Galaxy seems to play better against LAFC than they do against anybody else. But we've said this before, that LA Galaxy, as bad as they can be, especially defensively, their ceiling is still fairly high. And they can beat anybody in the league on a certain day. And this is that opportunity once again. But I I do like LAFC. I think they're finally going to bust through that barrier and advance. I agree with you. I think that uh, a trafico in the postseason might just be a little bit different. Um, and I think this was the one where finally LFC gets it. Before we move on to NWSL, I, I got one question for you. It's a little bit like I'm, I'm really starting to realize because there's so few days in between these games Yeah, that depth is going to be really, really important. We're seeing that already, obviously, uh, in some of these cases. But um, I do kind of wonder if they could have just played the games on the weekends. Mm. You know, now, if that had been the case, NYCFC and LAFC would have been off for how many weeks? Three? Well, I mean, it would have nearly three, right? Yeah. So I can get, it's still going to be two and a half weeks as it is. But, so that would be the only thing. But like, I don't know if we need a week and a half between the league semifinals and the league final. Yeah. The issue is, is the pesky international break, right? No, I get it. You got, but like... Well, not really in this case because, like, oh, I guess since now, right? What I'm, um, what I'm saying is, is that we're going, we're coming back with midweek games when we could have waited until the weekend yeah. and then waited until the following weekend and then waited a week for the final. Yeah, I mean, the first ones are this Wednesday, right? It's, it's, it, it's, it's a, it's a long, it's, it's not that long a time to prepare. And like you said, is it enough time for these teams that have worked so hard to, um, to get to this point? like the ones that they just did in the first round. Yeah, I think a weekend thing would have been more beneficial. Uh, I, I Wednesday to me is, wow, that's really soon. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Um, let's move on to the, MLS, or the NWSL playoffs. Uh, another crazy extra time, North Carolina 4, Rain FC 1 in extra time. North Carolina scoring 3 uh, after the 90 minutes. But another really exciting game here where... Uh, Rain FC kind of dominated in this game, to be honest. You know, they're trying to strike on the counter. Megan Rapino had a few good opportunities, but this was a, a pretty dominant North Carolina performance at home, but they still gave up the injury time equalizer uh, from Onamunu, who, uh, you know, then you know, they take it to, to extra time. Heather O'Reilly with the penalty kick. She's still playing. <laughs> It's crazy. And, and, and these storylines are, are so great, right? She announced this would be her last season uh, a while back. Didn't figure to play much of a role, not be a starter. Then uh, 
their right back gets hurt late in the season. And here's Heather O'Reilly. And the battle that she had with Megan Rapino in this game was really fun to watch. Yeah, there was that specific moment as well in the game where Heather O'Reilly had the ball. She was driving forward and Megan Rapino with a fantastic tackle to just win that ball Rapino back. Rapino defending. Yeah, What's happening in the world? Kind of amazing. Uh, but this, is a li- this was a little bit like the uh, Toronto game where it was, you know, a little bit back and forth. I mean, listen, let's not get anything wrong here. Aside from the possession, which was kind of even, uh, North Carolina, you know, in the 58%, uh, you know, dominating a little bit more. But in terms of shots, I mean, North Carolina was just everywhere. I mean, were it not for the amazing performance of Casey Murphy, like, it probably would have been even worse because they took 34 shots to their seven. But everything happened in the latter stages. And just like... The Toronto game against DC United, North Carolina regrouped, and they said, listen, we need to take care of business right now, and they did, and wow, what a game. Crystal Dunn ended it with the you know, the game, the, the goal in the 107th minute, right, to make it 4-1, but it was a great game, and I think the, the right team uh, went through. Yeah, same uh, I thought was the case in the other game. Chicago won, Portland nil, Sam Kerr, another goal. She just keeps scoring. She just scores what she wants. She scores what she wants. But you know what, though? Um, Meg Linnigan said it in our show this this week. You know, it's it's also not just, listen, we Sam Kerr is incredible. She's incredible. And if this is going to be her last goodbye before she leaves this league, then I hope, uh, you know, not to be a neutral so much, but good luck to her all the way to try and win the title. But she's just an amazing player. But just like Meg Linnigan said in our show, it's also uh, her partnership. With her teammates, and I mean that ball. Yuki Nagasato is really good. That ball that Yuki did was incredible. Yuki, aka drummer in a rock band, um, but that assist was amazing, and I think that key partnership was a major reason why, you know, Sam Kerr was so effective. Obviously, she's a tremendous goal scorer, but it's the spaces that she's allowed to, you know, make and the balls that she's allowed to receive in order for her to make them. And this was a perfect example. It was a great goal. And this seems like the right final here: North Carolina, Chicago. At North Carolina, I'm looking forward to being down there for this game. Uh, North Carolina is going to be heavily favored, and yet Chicago's got players. They got players who can who can combine, as we mentioned, Kerr, Nagasato. They've got Julie Ertz. Um, you know, this could be a really good game. And if I were you know preparing this game, uh, you know, if I were preparing Chicago to play in this game, I would look at what Rain FC did because Andonovsky, mm-hmm. with not a ton of great personnel everywhere on the field made it really difficult for North Carolina and kept North Carolina from running away with it. Yeah, I agree. Um, they, it was about not just containing, but making sure that the key players were kind of like the same strategy Minnesota did with Latin Ibrahimovic, trying to reduce uh, the offensive threats that North Carolina brings, and that's what Chicago has to do. A uh, couple quick ones here on NWSL. We're expecting expansion news uh, that the league will expand to Louisville in 2021. Our friend Meg Linehan reported that on The Athletic. Uh, and then MLS has an announcement for Sacramento scheduled for today, Monday. I'm curious to see if it's going to include an NWSL announcement as well uh, because Sacramento is is reportedly interested in a women's team Um we're expecting more teams in the NWSL next season. There are nine this season. Uh, there will be more next season. So let's see who exactly that ends up being. Uh, moving on here, 
I did want to mention, we want to talk about Spain just briefly here. Barcelona seems to finally be getting it together, which isn't altogether surprising now that Lionel Messi uh, is back. But Barcelona winning 3-0 at Abar, and all three of their big guns scored in this game. Messi, Griezmann, Suarez. Yep, they all delivered. And you know what was even more interesting was how they worked together. I mean, you know, Messi's goal was a result of a really, really good assist from Griezmann. Um, Lucho Suarez was, you know, involved in also the other goals. He obviously scored the, the, the third one to make it 3 nothing, And that's really what Ernesto Valverde needs. He needs the three to work together and sync as these games you know, develop and the advantage of the fact that both Atletico Madrid and Real Madrid are, are are not definitely Real Madrid not playing well enough. I mean, credit to Mallorca for for that win, but this is a this is a, a chance for Barcelona now to just you know take president because despite the fact that it's only October, this is the moment for them to say you know let's keep pushing. Yeah, and I, and Mallorca beating Real Madrid one nothing. I mean, like you know. Just shows you that there's no guaranteed wins, especially on the road in La Liga. So Barcelona winning at Abar isn't nothing. Real Madrid losing at Mallorca looks bad for them, obviously. And uh, credit to uh, our our friends who are part owners of Mallorca here. So that includes Kyle Martino, Stu Holden, Steve Nash. Uh, that team got promoted after last season, um, and here they are beating. Mighty Real Madrid, which, I mean, we've talked about this before. Like, I, they're in a, they're in a tailspin again, and they've got a tough game coming up midweek in Champions League at Galatasaray. And keep in mind, this is game three. Real Madrid only has that one point that they got at home against Club Bruges, and they lost to PSG. And so, this is a big, big game for Real Madrid in Champions League too. And, you know, Sedan blamed intensity once again against Mallorca. And at one, at what point, because I've heard about lack of intensity from Zinedine Sedan for a while now. So full on him. So now, so now what? Like, it can't be about just the players anymore. Santiago Solani was right. You know, something, something's really wrong with Real Madrid and, and the way that this team is is playing and and when your coach keeps on being repetitive about the same issue then why isn't it being rectified it's crazy i this is we've said it for a long time now worrying times for real madrid and they're not getting better uh two other champions league games on my radar um this wednesday one of them is inter dortmund just because i think that's going to be an intriguing matchup that could decide a difficult group at least who advances uh, the other one, and I didn't think that this would be that big of a game as it is, but especially for Americans, Red Bull Salzburg hosting Napoli on Wednesday. That's the game I'm going to be watching closely because that's Jesse Marsh and his team that got uh, three goals at Anfield, losing 4-3 to three after winning their first game against Genk. In this home game against Napoli, they know is their opportunity that if they get three points, they can advance from the group. It's yeah. doable. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's not going to be an easy feat. This is Napoli we're talking about, but we've already seen what this team can do at Anfield, you know? So it's about understanding the new threat that comes. I mean, listen, Carlo Ancelotti's Napoli is no joke. They're fourth in the Serie A right now. Obviously, one of the main contenders to try and push Juventus out of that Scudetto. And, you know, they have obviously their own 
uh, expectations and uh, goals for this Champions League. But when you play at home against a team like Napoli, you know, Jesse Marsh is going to be ready for them, especially after coming off such a, you know, valiant performance against Liverpool. Well, and keep in mind, Napoli only got a point in the last round at Genk. So that helped Salzburg. And, and I find it interesting that of all the Americans who are participating, competing in Champions League this year, and there's quite a few, the one who stands out the most to me, the one I get most excited about is Jesse Marsh. And, I, and maybe that's because the other Americans who are playing in Champions League, the actual players, aren't really playing much. Yeah. I mean, uh, one more point about Napoli. Let's not forget, they are top of the table. They haven't conceded a goal, so they're looking good in this tournament. But this will be a big test for both. But yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, if you are an American fan, uh, Jesse Marsh is probably your go-to guy right now to be excited about. I just want to know what kind of speech he's going to give at halftime. I want to see that thing. Please, can we tape it? <laughs> I want to see it. Uh, want to also mention Boca River Tuesday night, Copa Libertadores semifinal at Boca, which is down 2-0 after the first leg. And watch this, I would just suggest. Just watch it. Just watch <laughs> it. Uh, we're not going to go too crazy into the uh you know analytics of this game but it's it's again la bombonera is going to be pretty crazy and obviously this is now fine this is this is the last chance uh to try and get one over uh gallardo's river plate uh, after obviously what happened last time but 8 30 eastern tuesday yep. night being um Let's go to our questions. We have uh, reader questions every week. You can send those to planetfootballpodcast at gmail.com. This week, Justin Favela from Ohio asks, I was watching the Atlanta-New England playoff game on Univision with Marcelo Balboa commentating, and it got me thinking, do we have a center back in the current U.S. pool as good as he was? Answer. John Brooks. Yeah, when healthy. He's 26 years old. I think if he's healthy and he's able to just keep growing, he can be that good. I mean, he's already got European experience, international experience. Again, I don't think he's reached his peak yet. He, he can be that person, but like you said, it's down to his health. Yeah, and, and there's obviously younger guys in the U.S. pool at center back who could become quite good uh, at that position. We're talking about Miles Robinson, Cameron Carter-Vickers. Um, Miazga, I mean, you know. Mm. <laughs> didn't he score? He scored this weekend, didn't he? Uh, but too funny. In any case, uh, I think it's doable. But I, I, I like the question because Marcelo Balboa, I think, is very underrated in terms of how good he was back in the day. And um, I like listening to him on Univision. It was oh, he's good. great. I, I enjoyed this weekend. Um, I listened to, to Univision a fair amount. Um, but do they do they end exactly? So many people are confused when we say that on Twitter. Like, they gotta do that, some branding exercises yeah, know, because seriously. I think people are going T U D N. What's that? Yeah. I mean, listen. If you don't speak Spanish, obviously stuff. But they're they're doing so many things. For example, certain matches in the MLS playoffs this weekend from Univision was on Twitter, and it was in English. They have English coverage as they well. They have the SAP. So, English, yeah. you know, but the, the not just their MLS, but their Champions League coverage is amazing. We've already had, uh, we've, we've had Panda already uh, in the show, uh, but they do a tremendous job. Well, and the fact of the matter is the game I want to watch in Champions League this week, Napoli against Salzburg. 2 a.m. That's 2 a.m. And if I wanted to 
see that in English in the U.S., I'd have to pay extra for it on BR, which stinks. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So um, that's it for this week's podcast. Uh, MLS playoffs off to a great start. Let's hope that keeps up. And as always, good talking to you, Luis Miguel. Love it. And have a great week, guys, and enjoy more football.